This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined as always by David Hughes. Dave, how has your week been? Yeah, not too bad, thank you, mate. Um, fairly uneventful in comparison to the things that happened at Old Trafford on Sunday. Um, but yeah, you know, not too bad. How about you? How about you, Josh? I feel like we <laughs> don't always right. ask you in return. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm always okay, mate. But uh, the Old Trafford thing has put us in a bit of a weird position podcast-wise because the game we previewed last week obviously didn't end up happening. So, um, and this week, you know, we, we do face Manchester United. Thursday, not this Thursday, following Thursday, but we've we've previewed them, so mm. we have a bit of a weird podcast going on today. Um, so we're going to preview Southampton this this weekend, but then to fill basically the second half of the show, we might be shorter today. We we'll see, but to fill the second half of the show, we're going to do what we seem to do on a bit of an annual basis, really, and that is scouting picks. You know, the the, the two roles that me and Dave do in reach are to do with well they were supposed to be to do with scouting picks anyway and you know keeping an eye on players across Europe uh, providing transfer information and stuff like that so today because we've got that extra space Dave's going to pick three players and I'm going to pick three players and they're not necessarily for for Liverpool or Liverpool links we will probably get to that when the season ends I assume Today, it's just going to be more a case of putting the spotlight on these six players um, because we think they deserve some of the spotlights and we want to flag that, you know, there could be a potential move on the horizon, could be in the Premier League soon. And hopefully you will have heard about them first on Analyzing Anfield. Um, last season we did this, I think I flagged maybe Martin Odegaard. can't remember who else I flagged. He's obviously now at Arsenal on loan. They flagged a few players as well as a, a centre back in the Polish eighth division. <laughs> yeah, yeah, say, <laughs> yeah, he didn't get his big move there in the end, but I'm still pushing for them. If I can remember <laughs> his name, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say I can't even remember his name. Uh, uh, but yeah, we're just gonna do gonna do a bit of that this episode. Um, and I, I should say as well, I, I haven't seen Dave's picks. Dave hasn't seen mine, so there's every chance that we could clash. Hopefully not, but um. But yeah, we'll get to that side anyway. But first of all, Dave, in terms of Southampton, um, bit of a strange team, really. General thoughts on? Yeah, um, that that to be honest, very strange. Obviously, early December they were. I think they might have been top of the league, to be honest. Uh, or they were in and around that picture, you know, kind of top four after maybe 12, 13 games. Um, Looked good. Everyone was kind of applauding them, especially because they had such uh, tough moments last season, but stuck with Hazelhutton, which, by the way, I do think was the right decision. Um, but then, yeah, just massively fell off a cliff since then. You know, they went from, I'm just on looking at results now, from mid-January to mid-February, uh, a run of about six games. There was six back-to-back defeats. Then there was a draw with Chelsea and then another two losses. Um it's basically been that vein since. Um, let's have a quick gander. Yeah, I mean, they've since mid-December, they've, they've in, in away games anyway, 
they've they've won only one. I think Sheffield United are the team with the worst record in that time, the only team. So yeah, very strange team. Just seems to fell off a cliff a little bit. Um yeah. It's <laughs> it's a yeah, bizarre from, one. Yeah, from a Liverpool perspective, I feel I'm not really exactly sure why, but I feel a little bit more encouraged by this the prospect of this game compared to last season maybe. I'm not really sure why. Uh, do you just feel do you feel like a, a bit of an open side, a really open team that you're going to get shots against and you're going to get chances against? And I feel like last season, they were more kind of, you knew you were in for a battle and you were going to get your feet stamped on and you were going to have to be in for a scrap, that sort of thing. So I'm not exactly sure what's what's happened there. We'll maybe delve into it a little bit. Um, What, what are your thoughts on Hasenhull? Because I... I, I I I like him. I think he's a good coach. But having said that, I do think he's. He, I don't. I'm not sure he's reached the level at Southampton yet that I thought he might have. I thought he might have climbed a little bit higher. Where are they in the table at the minute? Um, so the fifteenth at the moment. Yeah. See, I think on the on the I had them tenth and above. Maybe that as a guess of where they'd finish on a regular basis, but. I think he struggled a little bit more than I expected with them. Mm, yeah. He seems to have issues in kind of uh, stopping streaks. He seems to be a very streaky side where yeah, when the when confidence is high, he, he seems to be playing well and picking up big results. Um, but when they're not, I, I don't know if this is, you know, you can put this at the feet of the coach, I don't know, but they, they seem to struggle to kind of, you know, Stop the flow, almost stop the losses. Re- hit the reset button, and you know, turn a few of the defeats into draws, then back into the win column. Don't seem to do that, and I don't know. Maybe you can put some of that on Hazelhutton. As start again, Hazelhutton because of the way you know the system's quite kind of. It's gonna be a struggle that one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah. It's yeah. I don't know if yeah if you put some of that down to the the way he's quite set on a, a specific philosophy and whether you've you've got the best players to always implement it. I don't know. You're probably better asking a Southampton fan who watched them week in, week out. But um, you know, fifteenth isn't isn't really a great position for them. They could still technically go down, by the way, but I doubt it based on, you know, the points difference with those in the bottom three. Um but yeah, they still need I did need a win this weekend, I think, to confirm safety. But with four games to go Still potentially in the position where you could be relegated, I think that's a really disappointing campaign, and you know, a large part of last season really disappointing as well. So, it would be interesting to see what the kind of Southampton hi- hierarchy are thinking of of the past two seasons and Hasselhoven in in general. I mean, it, rem- it remains to be seen how much the whole COVID thing has hit them, with them being a pressing side. Um, and you mentioned there about they've got. They've got a bit of an identity. They've got a style of play and stuff. One of the things you associate with Southampton and with Hasenhull is pressing. Um, but I looked at the pressing numbers recently, this week actually. Last season, for pressures in the final third, they finished second. Liverpool finished top. This season, Dave, not sure if you're aware, for the same metric, so pressures in the final third, they are currently 12th in the division. So they've went from second in the league 
to pressing in the attacking third of the pitch to 12th in a season. I'm not sure if that's a stylistic change that's intentional. Maybe he's now um, using a bit more of a mid-block sort of thing rather than pressing high. But it's it's definitely something that, if it's not intentional, I'd be a bit concerned about because uh, that's quite a drop. Yeah, no, I, I didn't know that. Uh, I'd looked early in the season for the piece. I'm just bringing up the viz now. Yeah, I'd noticed that there was about a 16% drop on, on, on the PPDA uh, average compared to last season. So I knew they were, they were pressing less. Um, but I didn't know it was kind of that much. And yeah, it's it's tough, isn't it? You know, is is COVID a factor? Uh, is it is it an adaptation to try and you know get pick up better results? But moving away from you, you kind of philosophy is, is that actually having a negative impact rather than a positive one? It's it's tough to call from here, but you know, overall, you have to say, looking from a wider perspective, it hasn't it hasn't been positive for them. Um, and they haven't looked great. I mean, it's tough, isn't it? When you, the, the for me, they're the sides who are quite reliant on key individuals. You know, with, without specific, like your Danny Ings, for example, without him, they are substantially a weaker side. You know, they've got like three key players, and Ings is regularly in and out of the side, and he's missed large parts of this season. He'll miss the game at Anfield as well, which obviously boosts for Liverpool. Um, but when you when you when you're this kind of mid table side and you've got you know three or four really good individuals and you're missing a couple of them, then you do find that the quality of the side just dramatically drops and maybe that's something else they've suffered with. Yeah, yeah. I mean a lot of the numbers, you know, you you kind of paint Arsenal as a bit of a I mean he's associated with Klopp quite a lot. He, he he's he's labelled as the Alpine Klopp, isn't he? Um but one thing I associate with Jürgen Klopp is, is attacking football, you know, absolute attacking football all the time. And based on Southampton's numbers this season, they don't look like, like that. They look far from it, really. Um, just a little bit on that. So in terms of expected goals per match, um, excluding penalties, they're currently 16th in the league. So they've, got, they've kind of got what you could label in a way as the 16th best attack in the league. Um, in terms of scoring goals, again, minus penalties, the 12th in the league. And in terms of shots, they are around 12th again. I think that might be 13th in the league for shots per 90. So, you know, as, as I said, they're a bit of a strange team because they don't, it does feel like everyone knows their identity. It does feel like they have an identity, but specifically this season, it's not really there, I don't think. You know, the presence came off the attack on football in terms of generating shots, at least, and generating scoring opportunities and stuff using through expected goals. And, you know, that that's not particularly there. So it does feel like they're a bit of a vulnerable side, a bit of a, a little bit finding the way still, a little bit lost. Um, you mentioned mm. Danny Ings there. One of the reasons that they've been able to to do fairly well this season is they've overperformed expected goals. Obviously, we mentioned a few weeks ago Liverpool have really underperformed in that department. So Liverpool, from a perspective, have scored ten point three goals fewer than expectation. Um, Southampton, by contrast, have scored five point two goals more than expectation, and much of that 
without checking, I can I can check after I've spoken here, but I think much of that will be down to a the finishing ability of Danny Ings uh, compared to the average player, and b probably their ability to deliver from set pieces. You know, you've got James Ward Prowse scoring free kicks. You've got James Ward Prowse delivering corners into the box to the likes of Yannick Vestergaard, who's I think he's like six six, isn't he, Dave? Six seven. Yeah, he's a big so, big, uh, big guy. Yeah, they've got they've got avenues to goals. They've got avenues to putting the ball in the net. But in terms of, I suppose their open play game, it's uh, it's it's lacking a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, even what sums it up was, and I just so happened to be looking at this uh, last night. But what sums it up is Ward Prowse is the Southampton's second highest league goal scorer this season with eight goals. Uh, but only one of those eight goals has come from open play. You know, which one, I mean, there's penalties in there as well, but there's a fair few free kicks. You know, the split might be about maybe four, three kicks, uh, three penalties, something like that. But that kind of in itself gives you an indication really, doesn't it? Um, that, that they're quite dangerous from set pieces, but also quite reliant on them. And, you know, after, if you beyond kind of War Prowse and Danny Ings, there isn't really that. There isn't a lot there. There's the maybe Che Adams. Che Adams tends to be a, a a footballer who it's a strange one, really. You wouldn't class him as a, a fantastic player, but he does he does kind of make things happen in the penalty area. You know, get goals or assist others. Um, but yeah, that kind of captures what why they might be overperforming against the XG and and just the issues in terms of creating from open play. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. I've just checked their overperformance and Danny Ings and Ward Prowse are the two main overperformers, really. Ward Prowse has scored 3.2 goals more than expectation. <clears throat> and Danny Ings has scored 2.3 goals more than expectation. There's a few other overperformers by you know, one goal or so, but that's mm. kind of neither here nor there, really. Um, but one of the reasons that they've struggled despite overperforming is they've, they've really underperformed in goal. So when it comes to the goalkeeping department, they are bottom of the league for underperformance. So they've conceded 7.2 goals more than expected. So 7.2 goals more than if they had a, a bang average keeper in goal basically, um, which isn't great. Liverpool, for, for perspective, have actually overperformed in this department, largely thanks to Alisson, uh, by 4.6 goals. So, you know, that that kind of thing can impact the season. And I, I think this is probably where it's best add, adding the caveat that despite Haas and Huttle being good, in my opinion at least, I do think this is a bit more of a case of you're only as good as your players. Um, and I do think, I do think the Southampton squad's limited. You know, it's he's dealing with players who, to me, seem a bit lightweight. They seem not yet at the peak, um, or past the peak. Um, they don't seem that mobile, really, compared to what you need to be to be a pressing team. So I do think, generally, Hars and Huttle's approach is a little bit at odds with the. The quality of the players he's got really. Yeah. I mean, 
I'm just having a look at some of the appearances accumulated by some of these players. And Theo Walcott, who I think's you know been finished at, at the highest level for a little while now, uh, he's played 18 times in that side. Um, you talked about the goalkeeper situation. I think when it, when a when a team or the manager's kind of chopping and changing each week in the goalkeeper department, which Southampton seems to be doing with McCarthy and and Forster, that, that kind of gives you another indication that there's, there's not that whole lot of trust in, in the number one position, um, which obviously has a, an impact on the rest of the side. So, yeah, I'd be inclined to agree that. I don't, don't as I said, I think they, they have some good players. We talk about things, talk about Ward-Prowse. I think Gineppo uh, can have the potential to be a good player, though he's a little bit raw. Um, so they do have Armstrong as well, but yeah, they're not, they're not a fantastic collective unit. And I think saying that, it's, it's probably a bit of a concern then, isn't it, really, that Mino Mino hasn't really <laughs> pushed on. Uh, yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's gone on loan to a team that I suppose you could say don't have the best players, really. He came from Liverpool. And he's he's spent a fair, fair amount of time of late on the bench, um, or not on the squad, I'm not sure. Uh to the extent that I think Liverpool's loan manager contacted Southampton and was like, you know, he's not playing. Is there a reason for this? Is this going to change? Sort of thing. Um, and I must admit it, I feel sorry for him because uh, I think he's, he, he, it's going to sound a bit deep this, but he's got his heart in the right place. I think he knows, he, he's committed, he's, he's clearly putting the evidence and stuff, but it's just for whatever, for whatever reason in England, not particularly working that well. He's um he's played in midfield for them. Played on the left, on the right. So he proved his versatility again. But just in terms of I suppose having enough of an impact to be the man on a starting place every week. He seems to be struggling just as he did at Liverpool, really. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, Southampton should be a a good a good fit for them. It should be a good environment to go and kind of establish yourself in England, shouldn't it? Because of of for everything we just said. Albeit, I guess the caveat is it's a really it's been a tough period for Southampton really since the turn of the year, and he obviously joined in January. Um, and if your environment's not that great, it's really hard to hard to excel, isn't it? So you know we we can give him that. As, as some some form of excuse, but really, you know, he's 26 coming into his prime. Okay, it's been hard for him to settle, but Southampton, on paper, should be a team that kind of played to his strengths. Um, and yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm just looking now. He he played. I think he started against Leicester, but on against Tottenham, he was on the bench uh, on on bench last few games before that. Yeah, he picked up an injury at the start of March, but didn't keep him out long. He's just he's not staying in the side, so. It is a concern, and I'll be honest. I'd be very surprised now if if Minamino goes on to have a have a career at, at Liverpool. I know it seems quite harsh to write him off after eighteen months, but I just don't see how it's going to work out. Um, I think he had to have a really good loan move and then kind of build upon that once he come back. Yeah, it's been a weird one because I'm I'm not really sure what you do with him to be honest. Um, it feels like Liverpool. I've just gradually started to accumulate a fair bit of. I'm not overly keen on the word, but I suppose Deadwood is is how you could put it. Um, 
And it feels like Liverpool is getting to a point now where they need to start shifting some of these players on a permanent basis. Like, you know, Harry Wilson's still still at the club, um, only on loan. Obviously, Minamino is a player now that you might have to start exploring solutions to his, his time in England. Um, but he, he won't be able to play against Liverpool this weekend anyway. It's, he's unable to face his pairing club. And I think this is, again, one of the reasons why Southampton haven't really been able to thrive this season. I mean, mm. if you look at their injury table at the minute, the, arguably their three best players are currently out. So you've got Ryan Bertrand without of a turn date. Danny Ings, again, without of a turn date at the minute. And Oriel Romeo, I think, is out for the season. So, you know, they are struggling. And I don't think, as I said, I don't think this, these times, this period and stuff suits high-energy pressing teams. It's, it's you know, we've seen City adapt this season to, to almost form a bit of a mid-block without the ball at times. And it does, it, it has changed things. And I think a lot of these pressing sides will be back to the best next season. But from a Liverpool perspective, I am going into this one feeling confident. In the past meetings with Southampton, I've been a little bit cautious because I do think I do think they've been able to cause us issues, particularly at the back, and they still should cause us issues at the back because their whole pressing approach, which should be high up the field, doesn't bode well for the likes of Kabak and Phillips, for example, who aren't maybe as comfortable on the ball as Van Dijk and, and players like that. But I am going into this, Dave, with a, a bit of confidence from a Liverpool perspective. I think... Uh, I think Klopp might go four two three one here and just kind of have a bit of a basketball game. Yeah, I uh, I, I I fancy Liverpool heavily to be honest this weekend. Yeah. Uh, I know I know form's been a little bit off at times for Liverpool. Or well, you know, we say that it, it, it could have been a little bit different. I'd, I'd, I'd you know held on in the last two games. You know, two wins uh, against Leeds and Newcastle. Things would, you know, that would have been five wins on the trot in the league. That you know, things would look a little bit different. But you know, a goal changes everything, doesn't it? Changes the kind of outlook. But on the whole, I just think Liverpool have too much. I, I think Southampton are really, really out of out of sorts. They have been for a long time. They haven't really got much to play for. I, I know the. I said they've still. If they win, they'll confirm safety. But I can't see them getting dragged in over these last couple few games of the season. And yeah, just. I think they're a little bit lost as a side. Um, plus, historically, they don't never seem to do well at Liverpool. Uh, I don't think they've scored in the last four visits to Anfield. So, you know, it's uh, all that kind of man might come into as well. But yeah, I just think I think Liverpool have too much. I think tactically, you know, the, the I agree they probably may go with the four-two-three-one, and I don't think on the break um, Southampton will have enough of a clinical edge to kind of take the chances, the very few chances that will come their way. Yeah, from a, for Liverpool, I, I only see two major threats. And th- those two threats are, number one, set pieces, and number two, counter-pressing high up the field against the likes of Phillips and Kabach and just kind of forcing them into a mistake and scoring from it, which is kind of Hasenhull's game in a way. It's very similar to Klopp when he first came to England. More than that, I can't see Liverpool encountered many issues. And I think in attack, as I said, I think he'll field all four of Mane, Salah, Jota, Firmino. I think he'll field the midfield too. Um, I think Southampton usually go with a 4-4-2 themselves, so it'll be our midfield two up against their midfield two. Which, you know, our midfield two got on the day could be, 
you know, Fabinho and Thiago. So I'd expect them to have too much for for War Prowse. And who usually partners War Prowse of Lazy and Armstrong, or is he still on the on the wing? Uh, let's have a look now. I know Armstrong usually is a wide player. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but he has been he has been coming in, um, playing alongside War Prowse, been putting Tell out wide, and Minamino when he plays. On, on obviously he can't play this weekend, of course. Don't know if that'll change things, but. Yeah, on the whole, he's been you've been mainly having uh, Armstrong and War Prowse as like the midfield too. Yeah, in in the last game, Armstrong was a midfield too with uh, with War Prowse. That was against Leicester. Obviously, he got a man sent off very very early, but that was their midfield too. And you know, that's both of the, put it this way: both of those players are not centre mids. You know, no. historically, they're, they're I know War Prowse has gradually retrained his game to be there, but certainly Armstrong isn't. And, you know, if, against Liverpool, Liverpool should be able to exploit this team fairly well, I think. So, mm. predictions on this one, Dave? Yeah, I, I, I do fancy Liverpool. I, I, I fancy, fancy about a 3 0, to be honest. Um, because, well, I will say, I agree with your comments about the, the counter pressing, but I also think if Liverpool take a lead, I don't think Southampton in a position where they can kind of start pressuring with just like, you know, sustained pressure on Liverpool and kind of. You know, bombard and forcing into mistakes and, and grabbing goals that way. Uh, I don't think that's the kind of team. I just think stylistically, it's it's set up nicely for a nice Liverpool win. So I'm going to go three 0 Yeah, I I was thinking along those lines. To be honest, it's it's difficult to predict Liverpool's results this season, but I, I feel like it's much easier to, to predict performances. I feel like performances have generally been of a similar level, but results have just been all over the place, fluctuating for a number of reasons. But this game, in terms of how I see it playing out, at least, I don't think it'll be that different. You know, my people, I don't think it'll be that different to, to the Newcastle game. Now, obviously, the Newcastle game, we ended up drawing one all because of terrible finishing and what happened at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. But I think this will be similar. I think Liverpool will go with a similar side. I think it'll be about as open, end-to-end to an extent. And I think Liverpool will have plenty of firepower. And I think 3-0 is certainly possible. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. But when it comes to scouting picks, then Dave, it's been a while. <laughs> mm, it has, yeah. I was, uh, I was a little bit concerned that I'd be a little bit rusty because I, I haven't done a ton of scouting pieces like recently. Certainly not, you know, kind of actual scouting as opposed to looking at plays that are, are being linked with clubs. So, um. Yeah, I mean to be honest, I had an, I had an, an idea of kind of three players I wanted to flag anyway, so it wasn't too bad. Um, but yeah, no, look forward to it because ego wise, it's nice to look back on players that you flag <laughs> and see see that they had a nice move, um, which happened on two of the three picks last time. Yeah, I was going to say to be honest, while I was looking for this one, you know, for players to pick out this time around. I I re- realized a few players that we have flagged before on this podcast who have. It, it was still where they are, some of them. Like, I remember us talking about, I think it was this podcast. It might have been analysing Evans, to be honest, but we talked about, do you remember Flori- Florian Grilicic, is he? Yeah, Grilicic, yeah, yeah. Grilicic. He, he's still at Southampton. Eh, Southampton. He's still at uh, Hoffenheim. <laughs> I going to say, they are Southamptons, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. He's still at Hoffenheim, though, yeah. And, you know, some players haven't progressed at all. Some players have, and it's funny when you look, when you look back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still young, though, isn't it? In in the careers, you know, it still might yeah. come that move. Um, but yeah, interesting. 
So it's good. I think people enjoy them, don't they? It's something a little bit different to listen to. Yeah, well, as I said, you know, the United Games give us this opportunity, so we might as well take it. Um, need to reaffirm that it's, it's not strictly from a Liverpool perspective. You know, some of these players Liverpool might get linked with, link with, we never know. But we also just want to flag players that, you know, we just want to bring to your attention for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I'll let you start, Dave. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm starting with um, Riddle Baku. I, I, I was okay. just waiting there to see if you were going to be like <laughs> the, the usual. Uh, oh, so, well, so far, we're clean. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, yeah, I've actually, I actually did write about this player a few weeks ago. Um, so he's a right sided attacker slash right wing back uh, at Wolfsburg. Um, he joined this summer from Mines. Um, and yeah, he's he's only twenty three, and he started out with Mines as as more like a a high energy kind of box to box midfielder. Um, but he's he's adapted really well to playing like a, a right right back slash right wing back. Um, he played there for Mines last season, and and you know retained a lot from a, like a kind of uh, goal scoring not goal scoring perspective, but you know. Direct goal contributions, so goals, assists, etc. Uh, and on the back of that, Wolfsburg swooped in for eight and a half million in the summer, and he's just he's just been really good this year. Um, as I said, what I like is because he's quite versatile. He's obviously played in midfield, but he can play as a right side of the attacker, or he can go in as a right wing back, which gives you options. Uh, his numbers have been really good. He's got eleven goal contributions. This season, uh, five second assists as well, or you know the pass before the pass, if if, if you prefer it that way. But his his, his general kind of profile is good. He's he's got a lot of pace. He's quite explosive. Um, he just seems to bring a lot to that team. And although he's only been at Wolfsburg one year, for you know eight point five million, I think you could envision a scenario where maybe a bigger side comes in soon, um, brings him on board. And doubles Wolfsburg's money, you know, get, gives them profit straight away. So although he hadn't been there long, they'll make really good money for them. Um, yeah, it's just a player like I, I think I was actually looking at him from an Everton perspective because Everton, I think, need to improve right back and right attack. And I think you know you could kill two birds with one stone bringing in a player like that. You can do both, and there's genuine output. So yeah, he's a player riddle back who I think uh, I think people should get on the radar. Yeah, I, th- I actually think Wolfsburg will have taken the, the attention of, of many scouts this season, many football fans, whatever. Uh, I think they've had a good season. And their, their current coach, actually, I have tipped a little bit as a really, really outside shout for the, for the Spurs job, uh, Oliver Oliver Glasner. Oh, yeah, Glasner. Yeah. Um, but he's... He, Really intense pressing team. He, he's turned them into. I think I looked at the when I looked at the pressing numbers recently. I think in the Bundesliga, I think Bayern were top for pressures in the attacking third of the pitch, followed by Wolfsburg. I think, um, and as a result, when I last checked, I think they were third in the league. I'm not sure where they are now. Mm. But you know, when a team, when an outside team does that, does that for a season, usually. They, they get a bit of eyes on their squad, don't they, in terms of who you can pick off, who's doing the business for them. And yeah, that's a good shout there. Can I just uh, say quickly, I, 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 I'll let you go first, but I have actually got another name from Wolfsburg. 
So I think it was worth flagging that because it tied in nicely with the point you were trying to make. But yeah, sorry anyway. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, that's good because I haven't. Um, <laughs> okay. So I'll go, I'll go first. My first choice then. I'm going to go yeah, with... Go um, so I think we'll stay in the Bundesliga. My first choice. Wise, wise. Uh, so I've gone with Florian Wirtz. Oh, yeah. You aware of him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a Bayer Leverkusen. Um, and he actually turned 18 years old on just three days ago. So he's a, he's as young as he come, basically. Uh, but despite that, he's actually already accumulated over 2,000 minutes in the Bundesliga. So, you know, in terms of establishing yourself as a teenager, he's, he's right up there and I'm not sure if he's had an international call-up yet in terms of the actual senior squad, but I think it's been rumoured and stuff. Um, and like like Baku, Dave, he, he, he is extremely versatile. You know, he pl- plays all over the pitch, basically, to the extent that I think at the minute he doesn't really have a position. He doesn't really have a set position. He plays in the front line, you know, on the left wing. He's played as a centre-forward. He's played on the right wing. He's played as a centre midfielder on the left and the right. So he, he, he he's a bit like, not as good, but he's, he, he reminds me a bit of Havertz in that regard. You know where Havertz was at Leverkusen himself and he was just kind of playing everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what Havertz is doing. Um, I picked up on him actually for the first time last season when, um, yeah, I've just got a, a note there from, from our producer who says, Verts got called up by Germany in March, but didn't get a cap. Um, obviously, didn't get any minutes. But the fact he's getting called up at eighteen anyway to the German senior side captures his potential and stuff. But I, I, I picked up on him last season when the first football back after the pandemic was the Bundesliga. So I was watching a lot of a lot of Bundesliga football last season up until when the Premier League got kicked off again. And I watched a lot of Lever- Leverkusen, picked up on a, uh, you know, Havertz looked great. Verts was playing for them, no. Uh, Edmund Tapsoba in defence looked really good at the time as well. But yeah, Verts just stood out to me because uh, at the time he was playing in the front line. Now, this this season, I think he's playing a little bit deeper. So far this season, he's got four, four league goals and six assists to his name. And it's difficult to determine whether that's good or bad, considering he's playing everywhere. So, you know, it's just like a, a decent return, I suppose, for a player who's sometimes in midfield and sometimes in the attack. But yeah, he's a, he's a player that I thought I'd flag because maybe not anytime soon because he, I think he recently signed a six-year deal at, a, at Leverkusen, understandably. Um, Time's out. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But I think, you know, in the future, I'd put it this way, I'd be intrigued to see what this player is like when he's 24, for example. And when you th- when you realise that he's got another six years of development before he reaches the age of twenty four, you know he, he could be really really good. Mm. Yeah, no, that was a really good point you made. Um, it ties in nicely with my next pick, actually. <laughs> go on, do you want to go? Yeah, um, yeah. So I've gone with a, a defender from Wolfsburg, um, Maxen Maxent Lechois. Um, Okay. As I can tell, I picked up the uh, when I when I've heard him play, I've I've heard the commentary, um, so that's why I can do Mikhwa 
Lacroix. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's pro- pronounced for anyone to know. It's actually Max Sense, and then it's spelt L A C R O I X. Uh, but you know, one of the key reasons I kind of flag him is because I've heard some. I've only actually watched them less than a handful of times. I think I've watched two Wolfsburg games this season, and uh, I, I catch up on the highlight shows sometimes. But he always seems to be playing. He always seems to play really well. Uh, he's just turned twenty-one, Josh, and he joined from uh, Sochu in League Two um, last summer. So, you know, he's come from what is a second-tier division in France. Um, he's joined Wolfsburg in the Bundesliga. And I say he's just turned 21. So he, when, he, when he joined, he was 20. But he, he's gone on to basically establish himself as a, as a regular within the defence, playing week in, week out. And he's racked up over 30 appearances in the league this season, which in itself... Is a good sign, isn't it, Josh? Because it's basically, you know, it shows that players able to adapt and produce at that age. Then, you know, it, it looks like they're gonna have a bright f- future. Um, really good, good size, good build. He's six three. Um, you know, good kind of muscular build. Uh, defensive numbers certainly for defensive duels look good. Uh, win rate of sixty eight percent this year. It looks fair. He looks fairly unremarkable from an aerial point of view. Uh, only fifty percent win rate in the air this year. But one thing that we've t- touched on a little bit doing this in the past is, you know, numbers aren't always at everything, especially uh, with defenders, because it just doesn't always capture, you know, how good they perform. Or it, it certainly has a lot. Of, it misses a lot of key details of a good defender. So that's why I felt it was really important to point out how often he's played this year at his age, considering he's made the step up from a you know a second tier in France to you know Germany's top tier and, and playing week in, week out in a really good side. I don't know where Wolfsburg are at, at this moment, but I know they're certainly in the Champions League picture. Um so yeah, you know, I think given how he's adapted so far and his age, I think he's a player that might go on to play. At a very high level, maybe get kind of picked by one of the by one of the top German sides like a, a Munich or a Dortmund, and, and and go from there. Yeah, uh, Wolfsburg currently third in the Bundesliga. Yeah, so. Still, that's where that's where they were last time I checked as well. So that's but, good, uh, isn't it? Really, to be performing in a, in a team who were third in that division week in week out. Yeah, but an, an encouraging aspect of that though was you know what I've just mentioned before about the whole depression approach of. Um, Wolfsburg, you know, the, the fact that they do press high up the pitch suggests that they're, they're playing with quite an adventurous, you know, high line sort of thing. Um, and some players just really struggle with, with, with a high line. Um, so the fact that he's performing to, to such a level, despite defending 50 yards from goal the majority of the time, I assume, mm-hmm. um, suggests that he's he's got translatable qualities really to a top side. Yeah. Uh, just looking at the, the pressure numbers there. So, attacking third of the pitch. Yeah, Wolfsburg still second in the Bundesliga, behind only Bayern, ahead of Leipzig for presses in the final third. So, definitely adventurous side, definitely a uh, high-risk side. So, I think that mm. probably benefit benefit the lad in terms of who, who, we, who we can move to and stuff. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. I'm going to go to 
the Dutch Ered Visi. Um, <laughs> go on, go on, go on. To Azad Elmar. Oh, no, well, yeah, we're all right, yeah. We'll, we're all right. Azad players, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm going with, and bear, me, bear with me with the pronunciation on this one, but I'm going with Toon Koopmines. Oh, yeah, um, I know. Yeah, looks like a really good player. Mm. Um, he's left-footed, still only aged 23, so he's approaching what you would expect to be a peak. And obviously, despite him being 23, he's still at AZ. So, you know, AZ, not the biggest European club. I don't think I'm giving him any disrespect saying that. No. So <laughs> get, get, We won't have them in the comments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there'll be an AZ fan watching this and trust me yeah. on, on YouTube there'll be, there'll be someone he's, he's captain isn't he as well I think he is yeah and he, yeah. he seems he seems to have quite a bit of authority over that team because he takes pens as well mm-hmm. Um, I should probably throw in now he's a midfielder so you know he's not a forward he's he, he's over six foot so he's got a he's got a big decent size on him for a midfielder but despite his size he's fairly mobile as well Um. But his, his passing is probably his biggest his biggest trait. I think he's developing a bit of a reputation for his passing range. So I suppose he's typically Dutch in that regard. I think you'd you'd probably expect him to be playing for Ajax, to be honest. Um only contract until twenty twenty three. So the whole two year countdown before the end of his deal is will will commence this summer, which is usually when maybe a player starts getting linked with a move. He's never injured, never injured at all. His last absence, I think, was in 2017, and he was ill for three days. So, you know, always available. And despite the fact that he's a centre mid, he scores fairly frequently. Obviously, he takes penalties, but with the penalties this season, he has scored 15 goals. <laughs> um but without the penalties, he scored eight. But eight is still a fair return for the centre yeah. mid. Two right um, yeah. Yeah. And when it comes to his assists, he's currently on five. So eight assists, uh, sorry, eight goals and five assists for the centre mid, who's kind of dictating play quite a bit. Good size, good age. He's just probably getting to that point now where he's he's too good and maybe got a bit too much authority to be to be still playing for AZ, particularly throughout his peak, which Admittedly, hasn't arrived yet, but you know he's. It's going to come, obviously, and when that does, I'd expect him to be to be in a certainly a big five European league. Mm. Um, but it, it, I thought he was definitely worth flagging because he he he's got the physical build and the technical ability to to play in the Premier League. I think um, I'm not sure how high up in the Premier League. I think top six could be a stretch, but. I'm just thinking of him for maybe like a team like Brighton, Leicester, um, just a team wanting to play good stuff, but wanting to kind of make a step up and as a result, taking a few risks on some transfers. I think he's a player that could do a job in England, so it'll be interesting to see if he moves sometime soon, but perhaps even this summer. You know, it would be a good, ironically, because I know Guy will be listening, our producer, yeah. He wouldn't be a bad move for Arsenal, you know. If they, if yeah, yeah. Conf- if we do confidence, he could obviously make that step up because uh, the way, obviously, the philosophy Arteta has that would be that'd be an interesting one. That. Um, well, that's that's why I flagged Leicester and Brighton. They they come across as well as two teams 
as opposed to wanting to play very much with the ball and that whole progressive game and stuff. So, yeah, I think he certainly fits a few teams in the Premier League now. Um, yeah. It'd be interesting to see if he gets any moves. Yeah, so <clears throat> this felt like a little bit of a cop-out, this last one, uh, but it wasn't intentional. I just think it's quite relevant. And, I, I you know, if you ask me, do I believe that this player will get a move? Uh, I do. Um yeah, all right, guy. It's it's not an Arsenal podcast. <laughs> <laughs> He's, our producer's just flagging that. Uh, so Belos uh, is on his is moving back to Madrid. I.e., there'll be a you know there'll be a spot for them. But yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, I'll I'm gonna go with someone who's been linked actually a lot with Liverpool, Daniel Malen. Um, I was gonna flag him. Good job, Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit awkward that one, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I just think it's, it, you know, it, it, there's already been some links and, you know, some Liverpool fans listening or watching will be aware of him already. Um, but I do think there's going to be a move on the horizon similar to what happened with, like, you know, Bergewijn going to Spurs. Um, he was kind of putting up these kind of similar numbers, similar profile, and he got his big move. Um, but, yeah, just those who don't know Mayden, obviously, actually was at Arsenal uh, originally. Uh, and then he, he it didn't quite work out, so he didn't get his opportunities. I'm I'm not 100 percent sure on that, but he, he went and joined PSV, um, and he is Dutch, so that kind of makes sense. Going back to his home country for five and a half million, um, and yeah, he's been steadily kind of one of the better performers in the division. Uh, actually, you know what? I'm not 100 percent sure. He's still quite young. I'm, I'm sure he's under 23. 22. Uh, 22, yeah. So he's still he's still a really good age. Uh, this season, he scored 24 goals and seven assists in the Eredivisie and uh, Europa League. So that's combined. Um, so you know, you're looking at contributions or over 30 goals across the campaign, which is really good. Also, nice to see that in Europe as well, because although I don't know specifically who the goals came against, you, you know, you like to think the competition's a little bit stiffer on the on. The European stage, so if he's he's contributing there, that's a good sign. Uh, those twenty four goals were off next year, roughly twenty three. So on the surface, at least, it looks like kind of a sustainable return. You know, um, he's getting himself in good positions and, and converting at a good rate. Uh, really good dribble at players centre forward, all on the on the on the wide areas, uh, predominantly left, but. You know, that's good because that means you can use them in different positions depending on, on the team's needs. Um, and another key point, and it's something that we've already spoke about with other players, but obviously in Roger Smith's kind of philosophy with, with PSV, they've, they've been this kind of pressing side, the one of the more aggressive pressing sides in in the division. Um, and obviously he's doing that from, from the front. And we know most top sides now, think of Liverpool, City, you know, by Munich, anyone, you know, the kind of elite of elite. Pressing is a huge thing within their game and, you know, it's a big requirement on forwards. And for him to already have been well-drilled in that aspect of things, um, you know, it's it sets him a good stead. He's just, he's got the he's got the right profile to go and make that next step up. He's delivered at this level now for a while. He's had a really good campaign. He's, he's had good, kind of training in these other aspects like pressing without the ball um, and it's just a, it, it's just that same old question now with players coming from leagues like the Eredivisie you know can he can he translate those skills into a into the tougher environment of like a Premier League or Bundesliga but 
you never really answer that, do you, Josh, until until the move's been made. Yeah, no, I'm glad you flagged him, to be honest, because he's, uh, he, he's clearly a big talent. You know, the, the, of the 17 goals he scored this season in the Eredivisie, all, all 17 have been, you know, open play type goals, you know, not, not a single penalty in there. Um, and in terms of his shooting as well, he, he shoots an awful lot. He shoots over four times a match. And that's been the case this season and last season. And for a bit of perspective on that, Four shots per match would would be top of the Premier League this season. I think Kane's currently top of the Premier League for shots per match on about three point six, maybe something like that. So Marlon obviously gets himself into shooting opportunities fairly, not afraid to let fly. And uh, yeah, I can see him moving soon. To be honest, he, he, he it feels like he's following the path a little bit of having uh, Lozano, who, who was at the the club previously before moving to I think it was Napoli I'm not sure he's hit the ground well, not Napoli that much but I think it I think it started bad but uh, it, it's not it, it's got steadily better at least last time I checked it had things had improved slightly for them um, yeah one one thing with Marlon I'm I'm pretty sure his uh, his agent is Raiola I think uh, which just always seems to be a caveat that makes a deal feel trickier I'm not sure if it actually does and in actual real life, but the fact Viola is an agent of, of a certain player just always feels like the deal could be a bit more difficult, to be honest. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's he's an incessant player anyway. He, he could certainly get a move to, to England. And I do think this is one of the players that were flagged that that Liverpool could be could have an interest in, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. So my last pick is, I, I feel like mine's a bit of a cop-out as well, because uh, my player has... Just got his move. <laughs> oh, go on. Um, so, again, bear with me with the uh, pronunciation of this one. This is a great name, this. So, Josco Gradiol. Not Guardiola. Oh. <laughs> Josco Gradiol. Um, Centre-back. Contracted. Or, well, he, he is, yeah. He's contracted to Dynamo Zagreb. Oh, uh, Centre-half. And... The reason he feels a bit of a cop-out is because he has already agreed to join RB Leipzig in the summer. Um, seems to be the replacement for Davis Pamacano and potentially Ilhima Kanate. But obviously we know about the the ability of Leipzig scouting network. You know, it's they, they tend to unearth gems before anyone else does and all that sort of stuff. And this this is a player that I came across and then afterwards realised that Leipzig have snapped him up. Mm. Um but he looks he looks like a top he looks like a good player, good talent. He he he's capable in as a centre back or as a left back. And obviously that ties in with the fact that he's left footed, which is always a nice thing for a centre half. That seems to be a bit of a valuable trait all the time, doesn't it, really if a player mm. in centre back uses his left foot as opposed to his right. Um, and the fact that he's he's played minutes at centre back and at left back, but just watching him, in addition to those things, it feels like he's suited to to a back three. You know, if he was to play in the left of a back three, it feels like he'd be he'd be decent. Still only nineteen years old, um, so you know he's coming to a big five European league. He's nineteen there from Zagreb, as I said. Who uh, I think they've unearthed quite a few gems. Oh, yeah. of late no I think I think last time Dave you might have flagged Danny Olmo 
and I think he was, I think he was at like uh, Zagreb, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, it was Zagreb, or very similar. I don't don't mean any disrespect for the teams, but it's just you know, it's it's hard to remember exactly which one it was. Uh, yeah, it was Zagreb. Yeah, yeah, he'd uh, yeah he'd done really well there as well. You know, it does kind of seem to be a place where where you can you can go and improve you improve yourself and then get that kind of it's a step on the ladder to the, to the to a you know the next stage i think what's interesting josh i don't know if i because I, I, I just a flag i wasn't aware of him uh he, he's new to my radar I, I he wasn't on my radar at all but just had a look and i think what's actually happened is i think leipzig signed him in the summer but then sent him back on loan okay. for the year um but the reason I'm flagging that is because that kind of reaffirms our point that, you know, it's it clearly the clubs like Leipzig who have these extensive scouting networks really good at it, value teams like Zagreb to, you know, rear these players and, and do well with it. It's, it seems like it's a bit of a hotbed for players. Exactly, yeah. You know, it's it's a, a way of getting cheap talent really, isn't it, from, from these, um, I suppose, obscure leagues. But yeah, you know this this Gradio looks looks decent. He's good on the ball, good size and presence. I think he's about six foot one. But obviously, the fact that he's nineteen, he's, he's I suppose he's still technically growing. Um, but yeah, just considering what the Bundesliga is like, Leipzig's ability to develop talent, the fact that he's nineteen, moving there, and who he could be replacing, left footed. You know, he's, he just looks like a player who could be really valuable in a couple of years. And given Liverpool's tendency to to pick up Red Bull players because of the similar playing styles, he could be one that we end up flagging in in another in four years or so because Liverpool have been linked with him or something. So, yeah, yeah. you know, he, he he just looks interesting. He looks like a good player, and uh, I like his name as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not uh, even trying to pronounce that. Like, I'm glad you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but we'll, we'll leave it there anyway. I think we 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 could have elaborated further on a few other names. To be honest, there was there was a number of others that I wanted to wanted to address. But we'll see how the rest of the season goes. If the summer's very very quiet, we could do another one of these. You know, let us know in the comments maybe if 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 you like hearing about these players that we're flagging. It does mix it up a little bit, doesn't it, Dave? Yeah, definitely. That's it. You know, it's uh, especially when. Okay, look, we we know from the perspective, Champions League qualification is still a really important thing. But you know, beyond that, either side of that, the, the season's kind of petering out a little bit, isn't it? Uh, there's not a lot going on. You know, certainly compared to the last three years, where Liverpool have been in in finals and pushing for Premier League titles. So, yeah, it's it's a you know, it's it's better to kind of delve into stuff like this than just you know talk about things that maybe people aren't that interested in. Yeah, that's it. So, you know, at the end of the season, maybe, or, you know, in the coming weeks, you know, we'll see. But we, we could address a few more of these, see how it goes. Uh, but, yeah, thanks for joining us, Dave, anyway. Yeah, thank you, mate. Cheers, everyone. And uh, we'll be back next week to... I'm not sure exactly when we'll be back, because we're playing Man United on the Thursday, so it's a bit tricky, that one. Uh, and then on the weekend, I think we've got West Brom. So, yeah, we will see on that one, but we'll be back at some point next week, so uh, be sure to tune in. Cheers. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.